0: All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And uh, we had big missile strikes over the weekend. Uh, What else did we have going on? My mind is drawing a blank, Alexander. Uh, Big missile strikes. A lot of missiles went astray. Uh, uh, Some missiles hit um, some apartment buildings. You had uh, shelling, I believe, in Donetsk as well that they hit... um, I want to say a, a shopping mall, I think. Uh, Solidar, I mean, the Ministry of Defense, they've said that they've, the Russian Ministry of Defense, they said yeah. that they've uh, taken Soledar. I mean, wh- what else is going on on the right. ground? Right, right, Well, we have a lot of talk, once again, about weapons, tanks. Leopards, the EU's flip flopping, the UK is sending challengers. There was some talk about an Apache, but that turned out to be complete fake news from the mirror. I mean, there's just a lot of weapons talk in general with, uh, with Ukraine.
1: Absolutely. Can I just say the first, first rule of ana- analysing what is actually going on in Ukraine, which is ignore <laughs> what British tabloids like the Mirror said. I mean, it's, that is pure fiction. That was completely, I'm sure that story was fundamentally made up. But anyway, what's been going on on the ground? Let's talk about that for the moment. I mean, the Russians are mopping up in and around Solidar. They're trying to capture a village nearby called Krasnaya Gora, which they no doubt will within a couple of days. Krasnaya Gora is an important place because it is on top of the main road that lies that goes from Bakhmut to Sivesk. Once the Russians have cut that road, that they're very close to it, it's difficult for the Ukrainians to move up and down it. But the Russians need to cut it. Well, then they'll have cut all Ukraine. They'll have cut off Bakhmut from three sides: from the north, the south and the and And the East now today, just within the last you know couple of hours, as we are making this program, there are reports that the russians uh, the Wagner Organization, to be very precise, are in the p- process of capturing a village to the south south-west of Bakhmut, called Klesheyevka. I always have trouble pronouncing that name, but I think I've got it correctly. Now, if they do capture Klesheyevka, that brings them within very close distance to cutting the one remaining road leading into Bakhmut from the west. Now once that happens, Ukrainian troops in Bakhmut are cut off. They can't retreat, they can't advance, they are in effect in a what the Russians call a cauldron, operational encirclement. Now there were a lot of reports over the last couple of days that the United States, the General Milley, the Joint chiefs of staff, the American military have been advising Zelensky and Zelensky, don't let yourself, your troops get trapped in Bakhmut. Bakhmut isn't important enough to sacrifice your best reserves. Pull out, look for some kind of offensive in some other direction. There was an article to that effect in the Wall Street Journal. There's been a follow-up article of a similar sort in the Washington Post. All the indications we speak about today are that the Ukrainians have ignored that advice. And instead of withdrawing from Bakhmut, they are reinforcing in Bakhmut. And I think that we've now gone past the point where even the West is able to understand the logic of these actions. But, you know, we could discuss this and probe this and Talk about this for days and hours, rather. I mean, you know, that seems to me the major military situation on the battlefields. This battle for Bakhmut is still developing. The Ukrainians are continuing to lose ground. They're continuing to lose large numbers of men and machines defending Bakhmut. They're now being given advice to pull out of Bakhmut. They're ignoring that advice instead of accepting that advice, they're still reinforcing. Why they're doing it, what their motivations are, I mean, I think we've talked about that in previous programs. I'm not going to discuss it further in this one.
0: Can, can I ask you a question about this? Because I, I was thinking about this quite a bit the other day after reading the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal article on this. We know that NATO, I mean, Stoltenberg today Came out with with an interview. I think he he gave it to a German publication, and he pretty much said, you know, we are fighting this war. against, we, we are providing heavy weapons. We are fighting. Uh, 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 there's heavy fighting. We are we are engaged in heavy fighting. He used the word we 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 a lot, and everyone knows that NATO is uh, is playing a big role in coordinating, commanding uh, this this conflict in Ukraine, and and God knows how many mercenaries or, or soldiers who NATO soldiers who claim to be mercenaries or wearing, or wearing Ukrainian uniforms are, uh, are actually on the ground in Ukraine. You get videos all the time of, uh, of foreign fighters. You, know, you can hear them speaking English in other languages. And they're right there in, in, in the conflict you know, with, with Russia. So we all know that NATO has a pretty big involvement in this conflict on the ground as well as at a command level. Do you think that these articles coming out from the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal, which claim that the, that the U.S. command or the NATO command is urging uh, Elensky to pull out of Bakhmut, are a way to cover, to, to create a kind of hedge so that, you know, NATO command is saying, don't lose Bakhmut, or the U.S. is saying, don't lose Bakhmut, keep on throwing Ukraine uh, soldiers into Bakhmut, Because we can't suffer this type of PR loss or this media loss just yet, while at the same time they're running articles saying we're urging Zelensky to pull out of Bakhmut because things are not going well. It seems like there's there's a type of hedge being created. I I don't know. I'm just no. I I I because I I refuse to believe that that it's just Zelensky saying no 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 I'm going to overrule everybody. I'm going to overrule NATO commanders. I'm going to overrule Zaluzhny. And I'm going to put more more troops into Bakhmut. It seems like they're trying to cover their uh, in the one case they're st- they want Ukraine to hold on to Bakhmut. But in the other in the other case, they want to cover their backside. I, I say, think well, that- we, we told them we told yeah. them not to. We told mm. them to
1: leave Bakhmut, you see? Yeah, I think you may very well be right. I mean, uh, what supports that is that the Institute for the Study of War, which is this Washington think tank, Neocon dominated, all of that? They're coming out and saying, well, you know, the loss of Solidar doesn't affect. Ukraine's ability to defend Bakhmut. So they seem to be pushing for Ukraine to stick stick it out and fight on in Bakhmut. And, you know, Solidar isn't that important. It doesn't have that kind of bearing. And I think you wouldn't, I would be too surprised if you were absolutely correct, if there is indeed uh, uh, people saying in Washington, well, let's cling on to Bakhmut as long as we can. Let's give those orders to Zelensky. Let's give those orders to Zaluzhny. Let's, in that they cling on to Bakhmut until the last Ukrainian. But at the same time, if Ukraine loses Bakhmut and there's a disaster there, well, we can't be seen to be the people who are, in fact, urging on Ukraine into this disaster if it comes. So let's go out and pretend to the world that, in fact, we're giving the Ukrainians different advice from the advice we are actually giving. This kind of war, it's entirely possible that that is indeed what's happening. I mean, it's the nature of proxy war, if you like, that, you know, if you are the proxy, you can be manipulated in this kind of way. You, you can have a situation where you're being ordered to do one thing by your puppet master, if you like, even as your puppet master is pretending that they're telling you to do something different but don't also overlook the fact that in proxy wars there's also sometimes problems on the part of the you know the overlord in controlling some of the actions of the proxies and we saw that in afghanistan we saw that before in south vietnam so it's not completely impossible that there are people telling Zelensky, look, you can't with- just withdraw from Bakhmut. We've lost thousands of troops defending Bakhmut. If you simply pull out of Bakhmut now, the backlash that there's going to be within Ukraine, all these young men and not-so-young men, their lives sacrificed to defend this place, and then it's just given up. Well, you're know, you going to have all hell to pay if you do it, and that could also be a factor, as well as any number of other factors as well. But certainly what you're saying, it's entirely possible. It is the sort of thing that's been done before, and if you're talking about some of the people in Washington, they're perfectly capable of behaving in exactly like the way you said.
0: Yeah, the media and political costs. If if Soledar, Bakhmut, and the entire defensive line of uh, Ukraine and Donbas falls, I mean, it's going to be there's going to be a really big cost to pay, both politically as well as media, uh, PR spin, and there may even be a price to pay for for uh, Lensky's position in power as yes. well. We, we don't yes. know the dynamics happening no, inside we of don't. Ukraine. And what may happen to oletsky's position if he if, if this happens, we don't know the the, the extreme elements how they're looking at uh, at all of this, from Absolutely. from a strategic level do, do, do you think there could be um, some thinking in uh, in NATO where uh, and I go back to Lloyd Austin way in the beginning of the conflict where he said, "Our goal is to give Russia a bloody nose." Do you think there could be some thinking on a strategic level where they're saying you know let's let's continue to inflict damage to the russian military even though the damage that ukraine our proxy is is receiving is is much higher than than what's happening to the russian military but we're still inflicting damage on the russian military we're also bogging them down this is what they may be thinking we're bogging them down in the donbass because come spring, we'll have everything in place so at least we can get something out of this project, i.e. the 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 west of Ukraine or something there. I mean, do you think there's some thinking there saying if we can just keep Russia bogged down long enough in Donbass, then we'll be in a better position to create some sort of buffer zone, create some sort of... Uh, uh, Get, get some new territory into into one of these uh, these East European states, um, Poland, whatever it is, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. It, something it, uh, akin to Syria, maybe. And, and Brian and Brian at the New Atlas talks about this a lot as well. Something kind of like Syria. Maybe we'll be able if we can keep them occupied enough and deliver enough pain, we can create some sort of uh, of of buffer zone or or annex some sort of territory, well, come a, out of this with some sort of win?
1: In a word, yes. I think there are people in Washington, at least, specifically in Washington, who are thinking exactly that kind of way. I don't think there are, by the way, in Brussels and London. I think there, the ideological blinkers are simply too strong for people to think that. But I think in Washington, yes, I think there are people who are saying, let's go on bleeding the Russians, bogging them down. Let's buy ourselves, in other words, time, even if this comes at enormous cost to Ukraine itself. And then we can stabilize something in the West or the center and spin that ultimately as some kind of a win. I mean, I I can absolutely see that. I will say this. You're also, however, starting to get doubts appear. Now, there was this very. There was this article in the Washington Post. There was a truly bizarre article in the Financial Times, which is um, I sent it to you. Which is a uh, um, you know Neocon Central in London. I mean, it's a very weird news, news article and newspaper, which has, in my opinion, lost all touch with reality. But they try to whole flip the whole script. They say that in Bakhmut. It's a war of attrition. And it's the Russians who are losing the war of attrition. They are suffering the enormous casualties in Bakhmut, And it's the Russians suffering these enormous casualties, which is ultimately going to lead to Ukraine coming out of this stronger. Even though, as the Financial Times article admits, there's actually this enormous buildup of Russian forces taking place. There's hundreds of thousands of men appearing on the scene. There's Tanks, all that kind of thing happening. Now, I have to say, I read that article and it is so weird. It either suggests a complete detachment from reality or possibly it is a way of, you know, mirror imaging again, that in fact there is an understanding about the enormous cost of attrition to Ukraine, because it's Ukraine that's suffering, or this attrition. And that, you know, you could start to see perhaps in a kind of unadmitted way, the doubts starting to appear. Because the reality, and we've discussed this in recent programs, is that the Russians are not bleeding to death in Ukraine. They're not being bogged down. They're getting stronger. Their economy, we're going to do a program about this, their economy is becoming reorganized, detached from the West, and it's pulling through and starting to show increasing signs of growth. <laughs> we have a major military build-up build going on in Russia. We've seen all these, you know, you weapon systems, the Zircon hypersonic missile, the Poseidon nucleus, torpedo all coming into service so it, it and in instead it's western arsenals that are becoming depleted and one of the most interesting developments for me over the last 10 days or so is that this whole discussion has now moved from you know missiles high Mars missiles and ammunition to tanks and, you know, there's been this decision now to send, I mean, a decision has now been made to send heavy tanks to Ukraine. And Britain is sending 14 Challenger 2s, which is about all that Britain can afford. West Germany has now, or rather, Germany has now come out. Ein Metall, the German manufacturer that builds um, um, Leopard 2s, they say they can only refurbish leopard twos that they still have in warehouses it would take them a whole year to do that (laughs) we aren't going to get any leopard twos from germany until 2024 if you're going to take out you know refurbished german uh, leopard twos of course you can take tanks from the German army and give them to Ukraine but the German army isn't happy about that and there's been a Interview by this General Vlad, clearly a German general who's extremely unhappy about the fact of Germany giving away Leopard 2s to Ukraine. He says 100 Leopard 2s aren't going to make any difference in this war. You see all these other countries talking about, you know, we're going to send Leopard 2s, we're going to send tanks. And then when it comes to it, they're only prepared to send a few dribbles of them here and there. Finland, well, they were going to send Leopard 2s, but perhaps they're not. They might actually send two. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, uh, Poland, it's perhaps a dozen. I mean, what it is exposing, Emmanuel Todd, by the way, whom I mentioned, has actually said this before. Emmanuel Todd is a French academic who's written about these things and is now also writing about industrial warfare. What this war is doing is exposing, as he puts it, realities about economies and the fact that, western economies and western militaries are not as mighty as we all imagine they're not just able to crank out vast numbers of weapons they can't supply tanks in huge quantities so you know yes there might be an idea there might be a plan wait you know hold on in Bakhmut for a little longer hold on in donbass for a little bit longer buy ourselves the time to build up these forces in central and western Ukraine. But as of this moment in time, it's not clear the time is actually working to the West's advantage in that way. But, you know, they might want to pretend that it is. That's what they might think. Uh, this German general, General Vad, had scathing things to say about Baerbock and Habeck. He said that he'd has never met a Green who's had any military service, and he doesn't understand how a pacifist party turned into a war party. So, you know, you're getting all of these people, they're saying, in effect, Western leaders don't know what they're doing. Maybe they think that if they delay this a little, it'll work to our advantage. Maybe that's what they're going to do. Maybe that's the plan. Whether it really works out to the West's advantage, the experts perhaps have increasing doubts
0: it wouldn't be the first time that the uh that the west has been trapped in their own uh, narrative propaganda with regards to russia i mean the entire economic shock and awe plan was essentially the the collective west buying into the the, the fiction the narrative that we heard over the te- past 10 15 years that russia is uh, is a gas station masquerading as a country i mean they really did believe that yeah. and that's why they they provoked this conflict and launched this economic shock and awe uh, policy because they thought that they would be able to to destroy the Russian economy in three weeks and get and get the regime changed at the Kremlin. So them believing that, you know, while Ukraine military is suffering uh, catastrophic losses, the Russians are also suffering catastrophic losses and are getting bogged down would not be the first time that they've bought into and internalized their own propaganda to then form policy out of uh out of that propaganda so i mean i could definitely see that being the case here and th- and that's why you know you may be getting some some forces uh, directing uh, elensky to keep on pouring troops into bakhmut because we're going to we are going to get the results that we want because I, I I know it. This is what they're telling themselves. I know it that Russia is suffering. I can feel it. This is what the Washington Post is telling me. You see, that's what the Wall Street Journal is telling me. So they're going to suffer horrendous losses, and eventually we're going to buy the time we need to spin this into some sort of uh, of a victory.
1: Absolutely, that's exactly what. And maybe I
0: think. the weapons play into that as well, Alexander. Maybe real quick, maybe the weapons are also um, about you know, keeping the hope up in Ukraine as well and the Ukraine military. You know, here's 14 challengers, more are on the way. So just keep on, keep on staying put in
1: Bakhmut. Absolutely. I think that is exactly right. I think they are trapped inside their own propaganda and they're finding it very, very difficult to think beyond it because um doing so would challenge not just their belief in their own propaganda, but their belief in their own, you know, belief system. I mean, it is an artic- It has been an article of faith in the West amongst policymakers for at least the last thirty years that Russia is, you know, the gas station masquerading as a country or whatever it is that John McCain called it. I mean, you know, this is this has been an absolute. I mean, you know, I can say this because I've experienced this myself. I've come. I've been to. Um, Discussion groups. I've tried to argue against this in the past. And the moment you try and do that, you get cut out. I mean, you just, nobody takes you seriously. So, I mean, you know, this has been something they've all believed. They've all convinced themselves that it's true. They're, they are all no doubt convinced that, you know, Russia has l- suffered, you know, hundreds of thousands of dead in the fighting in Ukraine. That, that, you know, three quarters of the Russian tank fleet is exhausted, that Russian ammunition stocks have been depleted to practically zero, that Russia is running out of missiles. Every time when there's a sort of pause between Russian missile attacks, you always read that it's because the Russians have run out of missiles and there isn't going to be another Russian missile strike. And then, as you said at the start of the programme, you get another and another and another. But Every time. Hope, as they say, is eternal. You know, this is they've they've just depleted their last stock of missiles. They can't keep this up much longer. So all we have to do is to hold out for a little more time, a little longer, and it will all come right for us in the end. And you know, I'm reminded in this of a certain German leader. I don't want to mention his name. We all know whom I'm going to talk about. But you know, right at the start of the battle of Berlin. He was told that you know that this vast army, Russian army, is assembling, um, it, you know, in front of Berlin, and he he said, "It's a bluff. I don't believe it. It can't be possible. They haven't got those men. They've run out." And you get the same kind because, of course, that was his ideology. That was what he was. That was what he and his uh, um, officials had been telling or talking all the time, and they couldn't face up to the fact that they were now going to collide with the truth. And it's the same, I suspect, here to a great extent. So spin out, buy time, hold on to the last uh, Ukrainian in Bakhmut, pretend that Solidar hasn't fallen, as some Western media outlets are still doing, by the way. Um, Egg the Ukrainians into Counterattacks to try to recapture Solodar, to make this propaganda fiction that they still control Solidar true. Fight on for every millimeter of Ukrainian territory, regardless of what the cost is, and tell yourself. That uh, you know a few hundred Leopard twos and Challenger twos and a couple of hundred Bradleys are going to change everything and uh, uh, reverse the outcome of the war, and that the Russian economy remains a house of cards, and the latest price cap on gas or oil or diesel or whatever it is is going to achieve the effect that all the other sanctions have failed to. So you know it's very easy to see. How people can get trapped inside their own narrative, and we see that.
0: Okay, Uh, I think we've covered most of it. Do you want? Do you have anything? Any thoughts on Belarus before we wrap up? All the activity taking place in Belarus, military exercises are are scheduled to take place. Um, Do you have any information there?
1: You know, uh, this is such a complicated story because we're, we're working on very thin information now there's two basic view three basic views about belarus one it's all a bluff that so the russians have no real plans to launch an attack from northern from belarus into northern ukraine but they're keeping the ukrainians tied down around kiev and in all sorts of other places by this huge deployment and that this is really what the whole purpose of it is then the second idea is that it's actually intended to deter an attack from nato in other words we're going to finish off in ukraine but nato has been making all kinds of menacing moves recently poland as we've discussed in previous programs has been mobilizing so we keep the, we create this very powerful army group in belarus and it both deters nato and of course if nato does anything well we've got the forces there ready to respond And then the third view, which is the one that Ukrainians themselves claim to believe, is that this is all in preparation for some kind of attack from Belarus. Now, I am not. I don't know what the truth here is, but I get to say that I still personally think that an attack from Belarus towards Kiev or Chernikov or Volynia, or all of these places, I think it's unlikely. I think it is intended to be a combination of the first two to bluff the Ukrainians and keep the Ukrainians guessing, which, as we discussed in the recent video, the Russians have managed to do incredibly effectively and at the same time to deter NATO and to have a force ready to deter to, to act if nato does take any action i think it's a combination of the first two but this build up is continuing it's developing into a uh, you know exercises we see uh, information that um, Belarusian airfields have been closed and areas along the border have been closed there've been statements from Russian officials that if Ukraine launches any kind of attack on Belarus they will there will be a crushing response now that could be part of the bluff but i um th- only very slightly but i am beginning to wonder whether perhaps something is indeed being planned. I don't think so for the moment, but it's possible. I mean, you know, we just don't know. And that's exactly how the Russians want it. They want want to keep us all guessing, and that's exactly what we're doing. But I personally still don't think that there's going to be a Russian advance from Belarus into Ukraine. But I'm starting to think Perhaps I'm wrong about that, and perhaps at some point there might be. We'll see.
0: Okay, we will end it there, thedurand.locals.com, and we are also on Rockfin as well. And go to the Durand shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.